0: Good morning. How's everyone doing? Welcome to Resurrection Church. Beautiful worship. Welcome to Resurrection Church. Everyone online, say hello. This is praise the Lord. It's good seeing everyone. How's everyone doing? Are you guys enjoying the rain we got yesterday? Praise God for rain, right? I got a notice from the city of Phoenix saying, We are in a drought and you need to cut back in your water. I'm you like, you must have got the wrong person because I don't own a pool. <laughs> so anyway. Hey, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews chapter seven. We're gonna be in, we're gonna be from verse 26 to chapter eight, verse one. Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews is a, a letter that we've been studying and we are thoroughly enjoying it. I don't know about you, but I, I love this because it's thoroughly uh, Christ-exalting. And, uh, and I'm not ashamed to take my time. Because if we're talking about Jesus, I, I don't want to rush. You know, I want to, I want, I want to learn more about my Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to learn so much more about my Lord. Um, Hebrews seven twenty six says, "For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens." who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever." Now the main point, chapter 8, verse 1, now the main point in what has been is being said is this. We have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now I could keep reading, but I'm going to stop there. Uh, my initial point was to go through chapter 8, verse 5, but I realized I'm not going to get that far. So we're going to stop at verse 1. Jesus, of course is our high priest. And Hebrews has been arguing of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And in this section, it's so important that we understand our need for a priest. We don't think in priestly terms because we don't live with a temple and with sacrifices. But if you want to go to God, it has to be go through Jesus Christ. No one else. No one else. We have, as he says, look at verse 26. A priest who meets our need, he says first, for it was it was fitting for us to have a high priest when he says the word for he 's now going to explain why Jesus fits the bill, why Jesus alone qualifies to be our priest, and why he 's our perfect representation before God, our perfect representative, and then he says it was fitting and the the word that means it was proper it was suitable. Jesus Christ is the suitable priest that we need. He was able, he is the best, and only fit to meet our need. And this word of points, uh, points to the suitability of Christ in his saving work. But what was our need? Before we get to his suitability, what really didn't we need? Because we, reala- we don't really realize how much we need Christ. We were in a very serious predicament. Our sins separated us from God. We were sinful. Separated from God. No fellowship with God. No way to approach God. We were. Our sins separated from us from God. Our sins stained us in the sight of God. We were defiled. Everything we did had sin. When Adam sinned. We all were tainted by that sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin enslaved us before you met jesus christ you are in bondage to sin no amount of self-help no amount of self-improvement can free you from sin oh you might get better at, at becoming and climbing the corporate ladder or become more mature in in your in your morality but nothing can free you from sin but jesus christ you are enslaved to sin jesus says if you sin you're a slave to sin it's got his hooks on you and some of you guys know what it's like to be a slave of sin no way of getting out we were enslaved to sin we were sentenced by our sin our sin sentenced us to death separation from god that's like a man who wants to live in outer space without a spacesuit you're going to die you need that spacesuit our sentence was death because of sin the wages of sin was death we were guilty every one of us were guilty before god all of our works were defiled all of our works were sinful from our heart. Nothing we could do can improve upon that. Nothing we could do to remove that sentence. We were spiritually dead and spiritually doomed before Christ, destined for an eternal hell. This is, let me just pause right here is this. My business on this earth is souls. Souls. Jesus came to make us to save us, and to make us disciples, and to rescue souls, not to make this life on earth a better place, not to feel more comfortable, not to make our home on this earth. See, a lot of churches, a lot of Christians want to become more comfortable living on this earth, not realizing people are dying left and right, going to eternal hell, and Jesus Christ came to rescue us from that. We were in a desperate place. No amount of good works can rescue us, good wasn't good enough you see god but i'm good that's not good enough this is all of us in this room before we came to christ if you're not with christ you're still doomed but if you're in christ things are a lot better we'll explain that you know that we were in a desperate place man could men help no they're just as bad could we help ourselves no we don't pull our bootstraps to get to heaven there's nothing we could do we were desperate no amount religious activity, nothing. We are in total incapability. That's a word that I just sort of invented, but not really. We were not able to come to Christ. We are in desperate need. We have to understand how serious the condition was to appreciate the gift of Christ. We talked about this with the youth group. A man was, he was lame for 38 years in John chapter 5. 38 years, he couldn't move. 38 years, he depended on somebody to move him. Day in and day out, day in, day out. And one day, Jesus comes on the scene and says, do you want to be healed? And Jesus heals him. But what's missing from that section is no appreciation. No, thank you, Jesus. I will follow wherever you go. None of that. Jesus has saved us from a lot more than just being crippled for 38 years. He has saved us from... A very serious condition. And Jesus Christ is God's answer to our need. God's response by, by our cry for help. He provides the answer, his perfect answer, and he's the perfect fit. If it was fitting. He's the only suitable answer. Now, why is that? Why is Jesus then the perfect fit? Now, I'm in cha- I'm chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 26, and I've got three three things I'm going to say, okay? And Lord willing, I'll get through all three points. If I don't, there's always next Sunday. Or we can go and go two hours. So <laughs> we'll call in some pizza or something. First of all, first of all, why is Jesus the perfect high priest? First of all because of his character, because of who he is. That's verse 26, his character. Okay? That's the first reason. Second reason, because of what he's done, because of what he's accomplished—that's in verse 27. The third reason, in verse uh, in chapter 8, verse 1, because of where he's at, his position, his character, verse 26, who he is, because of what he's accomplished, his offering, verse 27. And because of where he is, his position, chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to try to get through all three, okay? But I'll just give you ahead of time where we're going, all right? First of all, why is Jesus our perfect high priest? Because of who he is, because of his character. Let's look at, look at verse 26 with me. We have, it was fitting for us to have such a high priest that he gives the characteristics of Christ, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted from the heavens, okay? First of all, Jesus is holy, Jesus fits the bill for what we need. We were very unholy, but Jesus Christ is holy. His character is holy. There's two words in Greek, or two, there's two similars in Greek for holy. One is the word hagias. We think of the Holy Spirit. The, 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 that's the word for holy in the Holy Spirit. Hagias speaks of a state of separation to God. Hagias speaks of separate from, for a special purpose, separated from sin, things that are consecrated. And devoted to God. That's hagias. This word, though, is a different word. It's Hasias. Similar but different. Hasias. This refers to personal holiness. Jesus is personally holy. That means he it describes a person who lives right before God. It describes a person who lives devoted to God. He is holy in relation to God. That's the relationship. He is holy in his Devotion in his life, living before God. It describes a person not so much as they appear before people, it's a different word, but before God. Jesus Christ lived devoted to God. He lived dedicated to God. He wasn't just set apart in his person, he was set apart and lived in his practice before God. He lived the holy life that we couldn't. He also lived the holy life we wouldn't. He lived the holy life we couldn't, and he lived the holy life we wouldn't. He stepped in our shoes. He lived as a, as a man, but he lived a life we weren't able to live for us as our high priest. He is holy, amen? He lived on this earth without sin. He knew no sin, right? He who knew no sin. That means not intellectually knowledge. That means experiential knowledge. He experienced no sin. He practiced no sin. He was holy in his actions, and he was holy in his attitude. He lived his life completely dedicated and devoted to God, completely surrendered to God. He was a friend of sinners, but he did not participate in sin. See, sometimes some of us, we go around certain people and they rub up on us more than we rub up on them. Sin actually is easily transmittable. Holiness is not. That's something from the Old Testament that taught that. But he was a holy he lived his life before God, even though surrounded by sins. And we have a priest in Jesus Christ who lived dedicated. He understands what it's like to be tempted, but he never experienced giving in to the temptation. He's able to give us a way out of temptation because he lived holy to God, devoted. When he was stressed, he turned to God for help. When he was tempted, he relied on the Lord. This holiness wasn't just a name only. It was a heart, mind, and will devotion. We needed that kind of person to stand in our place, amen, to live that life for us. It's not, hey, I met Jesus, and now, Jesus, thank you very much. I'm going to live on my own, which you taught me the principles. No, that's not it. It's him living through you. It's like this, I saw a young man the other day in a hospital, struggling to breathe with an oxygen mask on, and he's like, yeah, it's like, I'm going to follow, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to try to, try to, try to work for Jesus, or try to, you know, I'm like, no, no, you don't understand, it's Jesus is like that mask, and that oxygen is what you, Jesus is, you're dependent on that the oxygen to give you breath, just like you're, you're even more so dependent on Jesus, Amen? As a shepherd leads his flock, he leads us, definitely. He leads us into holy living. He does lead us to holy living. But first, he had to be our representative. We were in need of somebody holy because we were sinful. John Owen from a Puritan from a long time ago said this. He says, unholy sinners stand in need of a holy priest and a holy sacrifice. What we do not have in ourselves, we must have in him or we will not be accepted by God who cannot look at, our, look at our sin. What we do not have in ourselves, we must have in him. Or we will be not be accepted by God who cannot look at our sin. So first of all, in his characteristic, first of all, he is holy. Secondly, he is innocent or some translations say blameless. So look at the second word. I'm taking my time because we're talking about our Lord, aren't we? I want to behold our Lord. If I go to an art museum and it's all about Jesus. I'm not getting past the first picture. I don't know about you. I'm just going to stay there and stare and just wonder, what am I learning about, learn about my Lord? If Jesus and his character, in Jesus and who he is. It is holy before God. The second word is the word innocent. That word is related to other people. If he is dedicated before God in the sight of God, he is blameless when it deals with other people. Some words translate it innocent, some say blameless. The word here is akakas. The word in Greek, kaka, is is bad. We have a similar word in English, we probably borrowed it. But ah, in the front, a, the alpha, I almost said aleph, but that's Hebrew. Alpha is the negation of that. But but the word here means not just he didn't do bad. The word actually means the, the positive side of, the flip side of, he was very good when it relates to people. It doesn't mean he was just free of evil without fault. It doesn't mean that he was just without anything bad. It's more that he has something very good to offer. Jesus is free from anything and everything that would harm anyone. He's not crafty or cunning. He's not deceitful. He doesn't pull a, a fast one on you, show you one side only to flip the switch and say, "No, this is how I really am." What you see with Jesus is what you get. Praise God! Right? You don't have to worry if if now you're going to have the different side of Jesus. If if He's showing you love and grace and calling you and tenderness and, and patience, that's who He is. If you're if you're in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ. You do have a different side of Jesus, which is his justice, right? And his righteousness, which you want to be covered with his blood and not have to see that side. But the point is he's not uh, deceitful or impure. He is good. Acts ten thirty eight says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he we went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with. He's the man who does good. He never wronged anyone. He never injured one person. Isaiah writes, he says, a bruised reed he did not break. A a, a flickering. Sometimes some of you guys feel like bruised reeds. How many of you guys feel like bruised reeds? And and barely lit candles that are starting to flicker out. And you feel like, and Jesus is there. He is, right, breathing life. That's, That's how tender he is. Amen? When he was cursed, he blessed in return. When he was ridiculed and beaten, he prayed for his prosecutors, his persecutors, his people who betrayed him and beat him. He was pure towards people, both in his actions and his motivations. He never harmed anyone. In fact, he healed. He forgave. He never held a grudge. He never sought revenge. He never gave the cold shoulder. I have given the cold shoulder to people. Have you? Imagine Jesus at the Last Supper. Here's Judas and here's Peter before Judas leaves. If that were me, I would not have invited the man to my Last Supper. And Peter, I would have made him sit outside. But those men are there. He knows that Peter's going to deny him. And he restores him. He says, I have prayed for you, Peter. Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I am praying for you. After the resurrection, he doesn't say, Yeah, angel, go send for Peter, because I want to have a talk with him. Peter, you're in the doghouse for 10 years. No. Judas, who hands him over, still gets love from Christ. He injured no one. Sought no revenge. No cold shoulder. He's pure of heart. This implies, of course, for us, if you want to have application here. First of all, he's safe. He won't change. He's kind. He's a friend of sinners. It implies that he's trustworthy, pure of character. It implies that he's truthful, and that his love is pure because he is pure our hearts are evil, but his is good. Our hearts are deceitful, but his is truthful. Our hearts are selfish and full of selfish motivations, but his is very unselfish. Our hearts can be manipulative. You know how it is. Our hearts can be very manipulative, but his yes is yes, and his no is no. He has a character that is holy, and it's blameless. We are in desperate need of someone who is innocent. Amen? I might not get past this this first point about his character. It might just take me the whole time, which means I'm ahead of the game for next week, right? This is awesome. Thirdly, he is pure. He is undefiled. Look at what it says here. First of all, he was holy in his character. Second, he is innocent or blameless in his character. Thirdly, he is undefiled in his character, or that means pure. This point won't be as long as the previous point, but this word means, this word is a word that means to be free from stain or blemish, and it has to do with free from any moral or spiritual blemish. It has to do with his position as a priest. When the priest would offer offerings, the animal itself had to be without blemish. The priest himself had to go through all kinds of rituals and washings, and he had to, you know, obviously be devoted to God and and make sure he was pure. But Jesus was pure from any blemish. He is qualified then to stand in our place for us before God Almighty. We have a perfect high priest. You don't need to stand before God clothed in your sin. Jesus Christ stands before God perfectly righteous and holy for every single one of us. I don't know about you, but that's good news. That is good news. We have the stain, the smell of sin. Sin has impaired us like a weight dragging us down. Sin has tainted our hearts. And we are in need of a pure, holy, righteous priest to go before us. Jesus is untainted. His words, his actions are untainted by by sin. He lived 33 years mingled with sinners every day. He was a friend of tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, outcasts, self-righteous, Every every kind of sinner you can think he was a friend and yet he was untainted, tempted as we are, but never gave in. He was undefiled. Fourthly, fourthly, he is separated from sinners. This word means to separate, or divide. It's the word carizo. Jesus was with us, but yet distinct from he was separated from sinners. What does that mean? That, that word does not mean that he was aloof from sinners. He was separated, not in distance. Like I just said, he's around sinners all the time. He grew up; his mom and dad are sinners, his brothers, the people he worked with. And yet he's with them. So it doesn't mean he is separated in that sense. He's not separated um, in his in his in his in his in his behavior. In the sense that he's 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 with them. He's separated from us in that he has a different nature. In a sense, he is he's God, but he, he takes on sinful he takes on flesh that's not sinful, but he takes on human flesh. He was in the likeness of sinful flesh, though he had without sin. Uh, Romans eight three says, "For the law, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He looked like a regular guy, but without sin." He was not set apart from men. He doesn't avoid people, of course. He befriends sinners, but he's set apart in his condition, in the sense that he stands with sinners, not because he's sinful, but he stands with sinners in order to take their place. Tempted, but no sin. He is God with us, Emmanuel, but he's also God distinct from us. That's why even when they, came to, they, wanted to, uh, they, they sent uh, soldiers to gather to get him, and they came back empty-handed. And why? Why did you come back empty-handed? And then he said, no man spoke like this. No, No man spoke like this. He was separate from us, but he's still very much with us. Amen? He's a friend of sinners. And finally, regarding his character, he is exalted above the heavens. He is he is pure, he's innocent, he's undefiled, he's separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. That word that the word exalted, look at verse 26 again, where it says, Exalted, that word exalted is, is a word that means to be of, of great height and elevation. He is so much more above, he is so much more distinct from from us sinners uh, he is so much more in a different category of his own his position is where no man has entered only christ is exalted to such heights philippians 2 talks about this in philippians 2 8 says, being found in the appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross for this reason also god highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that er, the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. God exalted Christ. Now the problem is that people, man, wants to exalt himself. In fact, that's the first temptation. Genesis 3. If you eat of the fruit, Eve, the serpent says, god doesn't want you to know this but you'll become just like him you'll evolve to godhood you'll improve your state you'll go from manhood to godhood that's the lie from the beginning man didn't man does not evolve the fall led to man's devolution not evolution Uh, You can look at the world today. We've been living on on this earth for thousands of years, or how many years? Let's say it's thousands of years, whatever. We haven't gotten better, have we? We have better ways of killing people, better ways of lying, better ways of stealing, more corrupt. We've gone down. We don't evolve, we've devolved. We can't improve ourselves. But Jesus Christ, who's our high priest, knowing that we can't... I can't even jump two inches off the ground. (laughs) I can't change my nature. I can't change my state. I can't do that. But Jesus Christ, who's our high priest, was exalted to the heavens. He's exalted. No one has a higher degree. No one has such a status. No one can exalt themselves. Man does not evolve, but devolves. He does not change from one state to another, from one when manhood, godhead, that's garbage. And our good enough isn't good enough. Our sin brought us down. There was no way for us to improve. No way, no way for us to exalt ourselves. We need someone to bring us up. We need someone that says, you, come here. And Jesus Christ is exalted. And yet, he's exalted as our high priest. And though he's exalted in the heavens, he's also mindful of us here on earth that's why he's there amen he's there to represent us which means that we're on his mind he is high and above yet he is near and ready to help jesus christ is our perfect high priest because he has the perfect character the fifth bill secondly jesus is our perfect high priest because of what he's accomplished this will be our second point today. It may be my last point, but let's see how far we go. You guys with me so far? Mm-hmm. Verse 27. Who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. He is our perfect high priest because of his character, number one, he's holy. And everything else I said, his character, of who he is, but secondly, because of what he's accomplished, his offering, he offered up himself. Jesus has done what no one else could. Our attempts at cleansing our sin are insufficient. Our attempts at changing ourselves are ineffective. Our attempts at paying the cost for our sins are inadequate. How many attempts are enough? How how uh, how do you know if your attempts your, your your attempts at cleansing your sins are are enough? They'll never measure up to that. But Jesus Christ offered Himself to accomplish this. He says, "Who does not need daily. look at verse twenty seven? Notice me, Who does not need daily His one time sacrifice? One time did what all those daily those other priests were trying to do and accomplish? His one-time sacrifice was never to be repeated. He paid your deepest sin. He paid your dirtiest transgression. And he paid for your most deadliest offense. He paid it all with that one sacrifice. No reason to come and beat yourself up. He already was beaten for you. Amen? Now I know I'm preaching today. Okay, I know sometimes. Let me just pause. Right, sometimes I I teach, right, and kind of, and sometimes I preach. But today I lead, feel led to preach. Is that, is that is that you guys good? Okay, you want? Okay, I'm, I'm just, I you know, I, it's just variety. You know, so, you don't want to have steak all the time. Sometimes there's chicken and noodles and fish, right? I like fish. Okay, and today it's steak and potatoes, right? So okay. And if it's boring, so what? I'm not bored. Okay. If it's boring, then we better get the paddles and clear. You know, Excuse me. Who does not need daily? Why do you and I try to add what Jesus has done? Have you guys found yourself? We you follow. Look, well, I know Jesus paid the cost, but I feel like I must take the be Martin Luther. And you know, my 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 friend, he calls me Martin Luther because that's my tendency. And Jesus says, Why are you trying to add what I've done? Was not enough? I, you know, well, uh, I need to have some contribution, Lord. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sit down. Yeah. Let me handle this. That's why he tells Peter. Peter says, I'll go to death for you. No, you won't. That's okay. Sit down, Peter. It's okay. I'll, I'll, I will take the place no one else will take. Are you trying to improve on his sacrifice? Jesus said, there's no reason to continue a sacrifice. Our friends at the Catholic Church try to sacrifice every single Mass as another sacrifice. Jesus Christ says these words It is finished from the cross. It's done. The Greek word means paid in full. Your debt, all of your debt. I don't know about you. If you had a huge number of debt and somebody says, All your debt's been paid, that's party time. That's celebration time. That's thank you, Lord Jesus time. That's, Oh my goodness, the way it has been lifted time. And he says, It is finished. It's painful. That's it. Past, present, future. And from our perspective, everything we did was in the future. And guess what? His sin. For his atonement paid for your sin that you haven't even committed yet. Next week, next year, next month, he's paid for that. The weight of the sin is on his shoulders. Romans 6 is, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. He does not need daily. Daily. That's why, um, I mean, there's several scriptures I can look at here. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Do you rejoice in the fact that your sins has been fully paid for? Do you realize the, just And some of us are young, and some of us are older, and some of us who are older can look back. I don't know about you, I look back. And my sinful life, I'm still a, I still sin, let's just be honest, okay? But my life before Christ, my life when I ran away from Christ, when I, when I reject, I, I look it back and I shudder sometimes where I might be had not preferred for Jesus to draw me to himself. And there are times I just kind of just, I'm like, just thank you, Lord. I just, I'm, thank you. Thank, thank you. I, I'm in all of that. Then he says, <clears throat> regarding what he's done, he says, when, look at verse 27, look at the end of verse 27, look at this phrase. When he offered up himself. I could preach one message just on that phrase because that is packed with stuff. Can I just, can I finish up with this point? When he, Bore himself up when he sacrificed himself. The word "offer up" it's the word that means to present as an act of worship. Yeah, it's it's used uh, the uh, similar ideas were used in uh, Isaiah 53:12 says, "Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors." Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressions. Oh my goodness. When he offered himself, I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, I want you to notice the selflessness of that act. When he bore himself up, when he offered up himself, look at the selflessness of the act. He desires or his desires were offered up. What he wanted was offered up. His will was offered up. My, my will be done, but your will be done. His position, he offered up. That means he gave it up. He sacrificed it. Though he's a king in heaven, he's a humble man on earth, isn't he? In heaven, he gives a direction, and all the angels without hesitation say, Yes, Lord, it's done. On earth, it's very different, isn't he? He has to swing a hammer. He has to work and toil. He bends down to wash his disciples' feet. Yet in heaven, angels, angels serve him. He gave that up. He gave up his position. He gave up his privilege. He offered up his... He's the son of God, but yet he allowed himself to limit the expression of his, his divinity. He's still fully God and still fully man, but he allowed his divinity to be hid, right? Right? Until a couple of times, you when he the mountain transfiguration and Peter's like whoa, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> you know, and God says this is my son, listen to him, right? But most people every day, people look at him and say he's just a regular guy. He didn't stand up, but he lived as a man, but being fully God, but he offered that up. He is the son of God, yet he lived as man on earth. He is a king, but exchanged that to become a servant. He says the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve, right? and give his life as a ransom. Oh, the act of selflessness. His reputation he offered up. He dies on the cross in humiliation. The fact he dies on the cross is humiliating enough. He dies on the cross with sinners, surrounded by sinners who are sinful, sinful sinners on either side, and sinners doing what they do to him. He dies on the cross being ridiculed. He offered up his reputation, he, he allowed himself to, to be sacrificed. I want you to notice also the surrender of this act. Others would have been dragged. Others would have had to be dragged into it. You've had to drag. But Jesus goes willingly. He gave himself up willingly. Others promised to be with him, but Jesus allows himself to be arrested, to be bound, to be tied. Do you notice how when he offered him himself, it was a lot of. Surrender is a lot of selflessness to offer. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have gotten one millimeter of a of a measure to even do what he did. I would have ran like the rest. I would have fled, saved my own skin, and say, "I'm watching from a distance." But Jesus goes in fully committed to this. Others would have been dragged into it, but Jesus gives himself willingly. Others promised to be with him, but he has to be bound and arrested and go by himself. At one point or any point of time, Jesus could have called down help from angels, from elite, from his father, and he could have done, gotten out of it, but he offered himself up. And when he says, I offer myself, and it says, into your hands I commit my spirit, that completes that. His power he offered up. He limits the exercise of his power. He allowed, allowed himself to be taken, to be arrested, in the day, in the time. In his very life, very willingly, He sought not to save, but to give his life as a ransom for all at the proper time, as as Timothy says. That's why Jesus says in John 10, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I might take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. You realize Jesus was in complete control, though, right? Right? and he is he's he's on one side he is as god he is incomplete as man he is he is offering it up to as a sacrifice to god the father i lay it down on my own initiative i have the authority to lay it down and i have the authority to take it up and finally and then we'll stop here i want you to notice the significance of this act when he offered up himself he offered up himself in his perfection he offered him up himself in his holiness. Look, look at the verse 26, right? All these attributes he offered up. This is significant that in his perfection, in his holiness, in his innocence, in his purity, he offered up the best of what could be offered. How many of you guys like to give things away? Go to Goodwill, right? This is borrowed. This is used. This is old. Oh, this is... Something borrowed, something blue. That's for a wedding. For a wedding. Okay, one well, baby. You... But most of the time, when you're going when you're going to give something away, you're going to give something that. Okay, I got this as a gift. And I don't really like it. I've kept it long enough to appease whoever gave it to me because they might see it in my house. But then it's been, I'll give it away. How many guys are like that, right? That shirt that somebody gave to you that that. You, you don't really like, but you don't want to offend the person. You just give it, but it's in good condition. How many of you guys give what's best away? We usually give what's old, what we don't like. Jesus Christ doesn't give second place or third place or, or something old or rusty or holy or like holy like with holes in it or mothy. He gives the very best of himself in all categories as an offering to God. Amen. That's a sacrifice. He offers the best. All we could do was offer imperfect, sinful, defiled offerings, but he offers himself in his purity of devotion, in his holiness, in the sinlessness and goodness to God. And his one-time perfect offering was accepted by God. And Jesus Christ, for the second reason, because of the offering he gives, and by the way, this offering is one time and was sufficient. That's why he's our high priest. I don't know about you, but that all the more is a reason to give praise to our God. To maybe live our life in devotion to His. Are you living for yourself or are you living for Christ? Or do you're like, ah, whatever, it's not a big deal. I don't, that's not going to affect me. Really? Because if you die without Christ... The millisecond you die without christ and you're cast into hell you're going to regret not receiving that perfect sacrifice for you there's no strings attached there's no fine print the fine print is basically god did the heavy lifting it it's free salvation's free amen but it's also costly isn't it and i'm preaching to the choir i know that but some of us need preaching to and be reminded and some of it maybe is people watching online but the point is this christ is our high priest And uh, I want to ask him when I get to heaven, what was that like, Lord? Knowing that there are some people, you're on the cross where you're praying for them and they're rejecting. There's no other offer from God. There's no, let's try this again. Right? There's none of that. Jesus says, I am the way. The way, not a way, the way to get to heaven and you can go search any other way and they'll all let lead you to the broad way, road to destruction and hell I'm not going to preach to make you comfortable on this earth I'm going to preach to make you comfortable in heaven thank, being thankful that, the, that you realize the salvation through Jesus Christ I'm not going to tell you how to become a well maybe not, not in this context how to be a better this a better that my, my goal here is to preach Christ and Him crucified, and and save souls, and make disciples. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You are our perfect high priest. And thank You, Lord, that... Lord, I love the fact that we can learn about You through new new depths that maybe we haven't realized before maybe this is re- a reminder but thank you lord that you are in heaven right now and we haven't gotten to this point lord but you are in heaven right now eight are seating for us and that you have a ministry that you're even doing right now on our behalf Lord, I pray that we would live our lives the, the same way you did, holy to, to God, dedicated to God. Surrender to God. May, may we live our lives the way you did, innocent to others. Let, let it be that we don't harm people with our words or our actions or our attitudes. Forgive us, Lord, if we hold grudges or forgive us if we if we wrong somebody. Lord, help us to make things right with with people, Lord. But help us to to follow you in that. To realize, Lord, that you are our God. You are our only hope. You represent us before God the Father, and we're grateful to you, Lord. I pray your blessing on my friends here and Those who may be watching, that you would just grow us deeper in love with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we stand up? Oh, God bless you guys. God is a God of grace as well and He loves you very much. And If you don't know Him, if you don't know His Son, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I invite you to, to see yes to Christ and to allow Him to take your place before God. Let me bless you with the the words of the Aaronic Blessing. Moses tells Aaron to bless the people and place the name of God on them with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'll see you guys next time.